growing up, my mom was worried about my antisocial tendencies and worried that I would like turn into, you know, like, I mean, she would literally say frequently, like, you're going to grow up to be a lonely old man when she was upset with me for being bad. (laughs) And uh, that never had an impact on me. And then, but then I saw what it, what a lonely old man looked like. And it, that did have an impact on me. It seemed pretty horrible. Being around Alan was, in some ways, like a, like a cautionary tale, you know? Ask someone to list the people who have influenced them the most, and they're likely to give you the names of parents, teachers, or old friends people with whom they've shared a deep emotional bond or a relationship built on the foundation of mutual love and respect. These are the names you expect to think of when you consider your own development and sense of self, the people who helped you become who you are. And then there are some people who influence us in ways we don't even realize until years, sometimes decades later. This is Lita. You're listening to Small Answers. And this story is about just that, a strange relationship with an unexpected emotional lesson that was 15 years in the making. If the voice you just heard sounds familiar, it belongs to Tim, my husband, who was also featured in episode two. Tim was just 13 years old and doing tech support to make some spare money when he met Alan, a 70-year-old retiree with no family and few friends who needed help setting up his computer. So, I, you know, I was 13 or 14, so I didn't, I couldn't drive. So he would come over to the house and pick me up, drive me to his place, and I'd, you know, set up his email or whatever. It became pretty clear, like, after a very short amount of time, that he was very interested in just having somebody to talk to, having a friend. And so I would go over there pretty regularly, like every couple weeks, basically, and just spend an hour <laughs> fixing whatever problems popped up on his machine, uh, but mostly just sort of listening to stories. It was clear that, like, he had... I feel like his life was a disappointment to him, but he had done interesting things and been around interesting people. I remember one time he casually showed me a photograph, an old black and white photograph of a bunch of people on the deck of a ship out in the middle of the ocean. And Winston Churchill was one of them. And Alan was one of them. And they were out there for the testing of an atomic bomb back when they were, you know, like blowing it up in the middle of the ocean somewhere back in World War II. So although he occasionally heard interesting stories, that's basically how it worked. Tim would go over every week or two, Alan would talk, and Tim would nod. That was it. This went on for five years until Tim was 18. At that point, he decided to attend college out of state and knew he wouldn't be able to see Alan much. The friendship might have tapered off at that point, but Alan wasn't deterred by the prospect of a long-distance friendship. He simply picked up the phone and started calling. The basic arrangement, where Alan talked and Tim listened, didn't change. He would call me every week, multiple times a week. And I could just put the phone down and leave it for 15 or 20 minutes. And he would not know that I wasn't on the other end. 
if I didn't answer the phone, he would call over and over and over again and leave messages until I did. He was the only person, because I hate the phone, and nobody else would ever call me on the phone because it's just not the way I communicate with people. And he was the only person I, I would ever talk to. He would call back like three times in one sitting and then every day until I answered. So this is potentially like more than a dozen calls a week. Yes. Most weeks he wasn't like calling me 12 times. Most weeks I did answer, but occasionally I just wouldn't be available or just would not be in the mood to sort of be a passive receiver of, you know, like the mundane details of, of somebody's life. His conversations, it was sort of like, you know, Grandpa Simpson on The Simpsons or whatever, like where he would sort of assume, he would speak as if you were also on a close first name basis with all of these people who I had never met. It did feel like a very sort of like one-way relationship where I would just, you know, hear everything that was going on with the other people in his life and occasionally, you know, like throw in a tidbit about what I was doing. But Do you think it mattered who you were? I don't know. There were There were details of my life that he was interested in that... I spent summers on the island, and I had been around boats quite a lot. But I don't know, but I don't know if it really mattered. I was somebody who was, like, willing to show up and listen to him talk. Why were you willing to do that? Well, when I was 13, it was because I was, you know, being paid a few dollars to fix his email or whatever. But I've always felt weird saying this, but I do, I, I, I never felt like I really liked him. And I didn't dislike him. It was just, like, going to see him wasn't fun. <laughs> it was it was boring and depressing. But after you spend enough time with somebody, you start to feel some sort of, you know, responsibility. The last several times I saw him in person, when it was, like, time for me to leave, it was always really awkward because he would, like, get all choked up and, like, start sort of softly crying and... I mean, I am laughing somewhat uncomfortably, not because it's funny, but uh, about, you know, like how this would be like the last time that he would probably see me. And I think he had had a stroke at that point. I mean, he was just in, he was just in bad shape. I'm a little afraid of how this is going to come across in an interview because it, I feel like all of this is making me sound like I really am uncaring. <laughs> well, you, you could say something nice. But the funny thing is, I don't really have anything nice to say. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't put that in. I think one of the things that bothers me about my own reaction to this whole thing is that he always seemed sort of like pathetic to me. My thoughts about him weren't very charitable. How many weeks or months went by of him not calling before you at what point did you assume that he had probably died after I didn't hear from him for a while I tried calling and I think I left a message I think I got an answering machine and I left a message and still didn't hear back and called again and there was no message it you know went to like a fax machine noise or something like that something that made it seem like the number had probably been transferred somewhere else 
he had told me at one point that, you know, if he were to die, that he had given instructions, I don't know to who, that like there were a small handful of people who should be notified and I was one of those people. But I was never notified that, that he died. And I have, I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means that he didn't give those instructions that the, or that, you know, like whoever was in charge of them uh, didn't follow through or couldn't get in touch with me. Or maybe they were gone too. I mean, I really, I really don't know. So anyway, I found out he died because I just did a search for, you know, like his name and obituary. And all I came up with was sort of like a, a, uh, a website that aggregates public records, you know, like birth and death announcements. And there was one for him. But there was no obituary. Nobody had written anything. The lack of a formal obituary, or really any kind of remembrance of Alan, felt heavy. Remember that by the time Tim found Alan's death record, he had known him for over 15 years. Despite the fact that the friendship had always been one-sided, that old sense of responsibility lingered. Tim did care about him, and he knew that Alan had died alone and unhappy. I wish that I had been in touch with him more at the end, when it was like hardest and most unpleasant to be in touch with him. I say I wish I did that. It's easy to say that you wish you would do something differently when you really don't have to. In my mind, he sort of like served as a a reminder that human connection like actually matters quite a bit. Is that something you find yourself questioning the importance of? No, no, certainly not now, but... But then? When you grow up, you know, in a... Like, I grew up in a big family, six people. But I was also an introvert, and my sort of default, you know, position towards socializing with people outside of my very, very close friend group was that I didn't really care about being around other people. Um, But, of course, in actuality, like, I was, you know... I was by default around a lot of people that I cared about and they cared about me. <laughs> I didn't think about uh, why that was or how that was important. I mean, you are someone who doesn't need a lot of social interaction to be satisfied. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it seems to me like... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if you sometimes thought, like... I don't need people that much. Yes, I mean, of course, yeah, I do feel that sometimes. In in the moment to moment. And so to be around someone who really embodied, like, true aloneness does feel significant. For example, you say, of course, I considered, I considered being alone, like, being totally fine sometimes. Like, I never consider that. What do you mean? You have alone time. Yeah, but... I very much need people. I feel that way very much. Oh, yeah. Well, it turns out that I do, too. I just didn't... (laughs) I just didn't realize it. Alan had made a big impression on Tim's rational brain, but it took a more personal experience many years later before he recognized it on an emotional level. You know, I mean, the thing that made me realize that I needed people was really when we lived apart for that year or whatever it was, because then I was really alone. That, I mean, that sort of drove the point home in a much more poignant way. In addition to calling, Alan would sometimes email. 
This is the last email that he sent to Tim in 2009. Timmer, can't tell you how delighted and surprised I am with your call. How I wish you were here to answer computer questions. Not doing well here. Guess age. May move back to flaw later. Can only use hunt and peck system because of left hand. Very slow typing. Still not found anyone to drive. Miss Mitchell terribly. Michigan too far away and learned Eliz is in Finland. Home soon. We'll call you a week from tomorrow if I remember. Thanks, Tim, for the call. Guess I'm lucky to know unusual people world over. Call off an Alan. True to form, Tim did not know any of the people Alan referenced in his email. This has been a production of Small Answers, a place for sharing the backstory behind significant life experiences. For a new post every Monday, visit www.smallanswers.us. If you like this story and other Small Answers podcasts, please consider reviewing or rating us in the iTunes store. It makes a big difference, and we really appreciate the support. And thanks.